That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about for tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning, Mars Hill and High Rock. Uh, It is good to be with you here this morning. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I know we just read from the passage in Matthew chapter number six. I'm going to ask you to keep your Bible open this morning as we'll be journeying a little bit through the scriptures. And um, I want you to be able to see that as we are going along today and sharing in the word of God this morning. Um, Just a few items before we dive into the word of God. Um, First of all, um, thank you for those of you um, who uh, during pastor, excuse me, um, October was Pastoral Appreciation Month, so I want to thank those of you uh, who sent cards and gave your thanks. Um, it's a blessing to be able to serve, and uh, I speak alongside of the other pastors and staff who serve here at Mars Hill and High Rock that we are grateful for the opportunity that God has given unto us uh, to serve in that role and capacity. Uh, secondly, we want to honor, this is a weekend where we take time to honor um, those who are veterans, Um, in any of our armed forces who have served or uh, um, uh, in the military. And so we honor you today and thank you for your service to our country and the work that you have done. And uh, we thank you for that. Today, as we look to the word of God, we are been going over these last couple of weeks and examining uh, what it means um, to look at where our allegiance lies. And uh, we've been going through a series entitled King Jesus. And in this series, we've been challenged um, to not only look at what it means to truly make Jesus Lord, but what are the implications of that in our daily lives and how we live out our daily lives and the practices um, that we that we do. Um, So far, we've talked and you've heard um, Josh share in a couple of the messages in the beginning part of this series um, that our first and primary allegiance must be to God. And so uh, 
uh, we talked about last week, the pledge and understanding why uh, even in that there are challenges uh, when we're pledging to, it can even be country or good things, but when those take precedence over where God should be in light of everything else. And so, uh, one of the things we began to look at is that uh, if our first and primary allegiance is to God, it means that we have to understand what it means to be citizens of the kingdom of God. You're going to hear me today talk about the difference between the earthly kingdom and the kingdom of God. And uh, this is important to understand this distinction because we have the privilege of being what I call dual citizens. Um, uh, uh, any dual citizens here in the room? Anybody? Okay, we got a few. Uh, it, it, it used to be, and, and those of you who know my home country of Ghana, it used to be that if you were a citizen, and some countries still practice this, if you were a citizen of one country, in order to get citizenship in another country, you would have to renounce the citizenship that you had before. But uh, there are many countries that have now dual citizenship. But even in that, what we see in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, no one can serve two masters. And the challenge can be is that even with recognizing the privilege of dual citizenship in a spiritual sense, meaning that we are both kingdom citizens and earthly citizens, we've got to recognize that in God's order, the kingdom trumps all. And so what we're going to begin to examine today is that what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? Now, one of the things that you'll recognize is that in order for us to have a society, there has to be both rights and responsibilities, and these two are intertwined with one another. Now, oftentimes, we like taking or partaking in the benefits or the rights of citizenship, but we don't always like partaking in the responsibilities of citizenship. Uh, let me make it a little bit more practical for you. We like it when they come and clear off all the snow on our road and make sure that the roads are clear. But on the other hand, we don't quite like so much the responsibility of paying taxes so that we can pay the drivers who go and clear the snow. And so what we need to understand is that if we're going to understand kingdom citizenship, we can't just take the rights and leave the responsibilities. Likewise, if we are partaking in the responsibilities, it is our benefit to partake of the rights that are accorded to us. Now, when I talk about kingdom citizenship, what does it mean? And, and some of you might be here and say, well, am I a citizen of the, the kingdom of God? I mean, do, and, and I, I was a naturalized citizen. I was born in Liberia, and then we came to the United States. And I remember um, it was in Port Huron, Michigan. And I remember I was maybe seven or eight. And I remember we went as a family, and, and we had to sign all the documentation. But my dad, who was the one who was getting citizenship for our family, he had to take the test. And uh, the test was a citizenship test. He had to know a lot of knowledge. But then 
As a result, we became naturalized as citizens. Now, I know there's a lot of debate going on in our political system about who should be citizens, and many of us are familiar that if you're born in the United States or within our sovereign territories, you are automatically granted citizenship. But here, Philippians tells us we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as as our savior. So the apostle Paul writes to an audience and he's writing to those who are kingdom citizens but still the question is how did they get their citizenship? How did they get kingdom citizenship? Well, one thing we understand was that if you look back in the biblical times, there were many ways that Roman under Roman rule they were able to get citizenship. It would include birthright in order to get um, citizenship, it would include retirement from the army, being freed from slavery by a Roman master, buying freedom from slavery, or being given citizenship by a Roman general or emperor. So there were many ways that people could get citizenship. But Ephesians 2 and 18 explains how we attain kingdom citizenship. In Ephesians 2 and verse number 18, it says, Now all of us come to the Father through the through, excuse me, through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians is speaking to Gentiles. We know at this time the Jews had the lineage that they could look at, but the Gentiles were looked at as those who were the unclean. But Christ comes in and says, listen, Jesus Christ is coming to this earth, and he is going to be the one who is going to take our place. And because of what Christ has done for us, and then in verse 19, the apostle Paul says it this way, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are now citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. The beauty in the New Testament and the New Covenant is that you don't have to be born into the kingdom of God. You don't have to be, uh, uh, you don't have to come from a certain uh, lineage or certain name, but because of what Christ has done, the act of making him our Lord and Savior gives you kingdom citizenship, and you are brought into the family of God. You're born, but in a different way. It wasn't that you were born into citizenship and you were just made in the right standing, but because you say, Lord, I'm going to make you Lord over my life, I surrender everything to you, you become a kingdom citizen, and you are subject to all the full rights that come with it but also the full responsibilities that come with it as well. Now, today what I want to focus in on is what are the rights and responsibilities that come to us as citizens of God's kingdom. 
When we say Jesus is Lord, we're proclaiming allegiance to God and citizenship in the kingdom. But how should that change our perspective? And what we recognize is that there must be something that any kingdom, any society, any grouping has in order for us to be able to determine what are the norms and the standards by which we operate by. A constitution is simply just a basic principle of laws that can apply to a nation, a state, or social group that determine the powers and duties of government and guarantee certain rights to the people in it. Here in America, we are most identified with the Constitution, uh, which was ratified in 1787 and established America's national government and fundamental laws. It guarantees certain basic rights for its citizens. So most of us are familiar that the Constitution is what helps us as a society here in America being able to operate. But what we also have seen is that over time, the Constitution has been amended to adjust to the practical realities of forming a more perfect union. For example, the Bill of Rights, which were the first 10 amendments, guaranteed basic individual protections, as such as freedom of speech and freedom of religion, and that became a part of the Constitution in 1791. And overall, to date, there have been 27 constitutional amendments. And when we think of a national constitution and look at this aspect, many of us see a document that was written with best intent, but it was flawed in that it failed to anticipate all of the changes of society and norms over the years. When it comes to the kingdom of God, sometimes we apply the same principles when we look at how, uh, what are the norms and the ways that we be able to operate in the kingdom of God. Some of us may think, well, maybe Jesus really didn't understand what it would be like to live in America in 2018. I mean, can we be honest for a moment? Sometimes you wonder, like, did Jesus really anticipate what it would be like to have to have two working parents in order to be able to make the mortgage. Did Jesus really anticipate what the world would be like in 2018 with Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and all the social media items? I mean, how could God expect us to read our Bible? I mean, there's so much information out there. But in the midst of all of those, the difference that we have is that when we were ratifying the Constitution in 1787, you had framers that were doctors, lawyers, they were business people, and they had the best intentions, and they represent a system of leadership that was coming from an earthly perspective. But the difference in the kingdom of God is that our king is not the same earthly king that came up with a natural Constitution. He's the king that sees all things, knows all things, believes all things. And so it means that when Jesus says, this is the way, his truth for shall forever reign. When our king declares, this is the way that you treat your neighbor, he didn't mean it just for the first church. He didn't mean it just for early time of Christianity. He knew that in 2018, we would be in a divided country where there were many challenges that were going on. And he would still say the same words, love your enemies. 
See, in the midst of all that, the beauty of the scriptures and the word of God is that it is eternal truth. From generation to generation, it gives us life and the ability to be able to look and say, what does God expect of me and what can I expect of God as I look out to making him truly king over my life? The most practical statement of the new rights and responsibilities that come to us as kingdom citizens are enumerated as we read here this morning in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount goes starting in Matthew chapter number five, and it goes all the way through Matthew chapter number seven. The New Bible Dictionary defines the Sermon on the Mount as a character sketch of those who have already entered the kingdom and a description of the quality of ethical life which is now expected of them. In this sense, it is essential Christianity. Essential Christianity. It becomes the new norm. It becomes the new standard. And one of my favorite sections of the Sermon on the Mount is found in chapter number five. In chapter number five, Jesus begins, he begins talking to the disciples. And as he's talking to them, he goes through these series of teachings. Uh, and in each of these series of teachings, he begins it with this statement. You've heard it said. You've heard it said. He starts off with this and then begins to say, you've heard it said this way, but I want to teach you what is the new way, the new norm that comes under living in kingdom citizenship. Jesus wanted to draw an important parallel that the rights and responsibilities under earthly kingdoms and even under the Mosaic law were superseded by the new teachings of Jesus. Jesus spent time to make sure to emphasize that I did not come to abolish the law but I came to fulfill the law. And so he began to teach them a new way of looking at how do we live? How do we approach things? How do we do things? Let's look at an example of this. And if you have your Bibles here, look at Matthew chapter number five and verse number 44. Matthew chapter number five and verse number 44. He starts off, excuse me, 43. He starts off and it says, you've heard it said, or you've heard that the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He starts off with, this is what the norm that you are used to. And in the earthly standard, in the earthly way, in the earthly citizenship, this was an appropriate way or norm of living. Love those who love you, but your enemies keep them far away. But Jesus now begins to say, this is what you had been taught and what you had understood. But I want you now to understand that in the kingdom of God, here is the new standard. Look what he says there in verse number 44. But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who 
persecute you. I realize that the new norms and standards that Jesus was introducing on the Sermon on the Mount were radically counter-cultural and counter-intuitive. What Jesus was saying is, I know this is the way that you operated previously, but I'm calling you to a new standard, a new way of living, and I want you to follow after my teachings. One of the most difficult things that we have in learning what it means to be a kingdom citizen is that we must constantly unlearn some of the habits and practice that we picked up from our earthly citizenship and now learn the new ways of the kingdom of God. The challenge is, is that when we live by a certain pattern and live by certain norms and live by certain standards for so long, you know what happens? It becomes ingrained in what we do. It becomes the norm of what happens in all of the things that happen. I, I remember when... Um, <laughs> we, uh, when Pastor Ophelia and I got married, and one of the things that was exciting for me, and we're both of Ghanaian origin, is that um, I remember one time I'd had a guest uh, family friend who was over at the house, and they went into our bath, and, and I'll share a little bit. And so, and generally, like with bath, we would have a bucket uh, of water, and so the way that we would do is we fill up the bucket, and that's how we would take our shower. And so, I, I, I would have that, and when I'd have people there, they're like, "Why do you have a bucket?" in your shower and I was like well I mean I know I have a shower but that's just what I was used to you got to fill up the bucket you you take the shower and then you're done and so this was a norm that I was used to and so one of the things I realized is that okay I'm in a new place. I'm in a place where I have running water. I have all the resources that I need. I don't have to have the bucket there. I could just take a shower. And so I've had to unlearn certain practices and now learn new practices. One of the challenges of kingdom citizenship is not only to learn what God expects of us, but also to unlearn some of the things that have been ingrained in us, some of the things that have been deeply rooted in us. And what we'll come to learn is that even though someone very nice taught us those things or someone showed us these practices, we can find out some of those things do not line up with what God expects of us as kingdom citizens. The challenge is who is Lord over our lives. The process which is shown in Matthew chapter number six is the teaching, uh, 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 Jesus is teaching his principles of the principle of money and possessions. And we see here this model in terms of unlearning and learning. We read this scripture here at the beginning of today's passage and Jesus in teaching on money and possessions in Matthew chapter number six and verse number 19, he says, do not store up treasures on here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroy them. Jesus introduces kingdom rights and responsibilities and what he says to them is that in God's kingdom you do not have to become a slave to worry and anxiety over money, possession, and status. In the earthly kingdom that's the biggest currency. Money, possessions, 
and status. If you got a lot of money in the earthly kingdom, your status is viewed as high. If you've got a lot of possessions, people look at you and say, oh, they must be successful. And if you've got status, maybe you've got power over others. But Jesus radically changes it in the kingdom of God and says that in the kingdom of God, don't become a slave to those things. Don't worry about and have anxiety over money, possessions, and status. This kingdom citizenship means that you trust your Lord and your Savior to be your provider. Jesus says you have to unlearn your system of chasing after fleeting things and now learn the ways of the kingdom of God. Look what he said there in Matthew 6. He says, worrying will never add a single moment to your life. Under an earthly citizenship, worry and anxiety are a part of everyday life. But in the kingdom of God, it doesn't mean that we aren't concerned about things. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that we look at and say, man, I wish this this could change or I wish this could be better. But what we realize is that as kingdom citizens, we recognize that even with all the challenges that are in front of us, God is working on our behalf. We recognize the promise of Romans 8 and 28. All things are working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So it changes our perspective on those things. Jesus is teaching them, unlearn those ways that were before you. Unlearn the way of chasing after money and possession and status with unbridled ambition, which gives them lordship over your life. To learn the new constitution in the kingdom of God, Jesus uses two examples from nature to show how the kingdom of God works. Look here what he says there. Do not store up treasures here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and destroy and steal. Go down to verse number, um, excuse me. Verse number uh, 28, he said, excuse me, verse number, verse number 26, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. He first uses the example of the birds of the air. Jesus notes that they need food just like we need food. But he also highlights that the birds do not plant or harvest or store food in barns. Jesus is not saying that we don't need food. Come on, y'all can tell. <laughs> I believe that Jesus wanted me to eat food. <laughs> but what Jesus is saying is that as you are eating, as you are drinking, recognize that do not become a slave to those things, so much so that you you have to do everything in order to serve it, and it becomes an idol in our life. 
You know, oftentimes when we think about idols, we think about statues that are built up and, and things that they would worship in the Old Testament. But the truth of the matter is that we have idols right here in this day and age. And there are idols that may not take on natural form, but they are things that we have to continually feed in order to make sure and we become subservient to it and we be, uh, let it be, have lordship over our lives. And what Jesus was saying was that look at even the birds of the air. They don't store up food, but yet your heavenly father takes care of them. Under the kingdom of God, you have to understand that as both a right and a responsibility. What is the right that is there? King Jesus makes a personal promise to take care of his creation. What's a right of kingdom citizenship? God promises he'll take care of you. Now, the challenge with that is that many of us, we say, God, take care of me as long as it's a penthouse in Beacon Hill, as long as I have my brand new Tesla, as long as I get this amount of job and income, as long as my wife or husband looks like this, as long as this, as long as this, as long as this. But Jesus says, look, I will take care of you, but you've got to trust me. In kingdom citizenship, the currency that works is trust or faith. And so God is saying that you must trust him in order to receive the fullness of the rights that come to you as children of God. Look what he says there in the scripture. He says, Jesus declares, aren't you more valuable to God than the birds? Come on, point to yourself and say, I'm valuable to God. What does that mean? That's not self-pumping up. But it's a recognition that even with the birds of the air, God is concerned about everything that's going on in your life right now. He's mindful of it. He then uses another example, and he goes from the birds of the air, and he says, look to the lilies of the field. Look there in verse number 28. He says, look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They do not work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. One of my favorite scriptures is in Ecclesiastes, and it says that he makes everything beautiful in it's time. I personally think, uh, you know, one of the things I, I've appreciated is that, you know, when I get to stand next to Pastor Ophelia, I look better. You know, like, I, you know, like I, I look better and I look more beautiful and, and more radiant because I'm standing next to her. And so I'm thankful for God giving me her as my wife. Love you, honey. <laughs> but God makes things beautiful. In its time. And I've, I've appreciated things that I've, when I first looked at it, I looked at it and said, man, this, this looks ugly. This, this looks nasty. This looks like whatever good could come out of this. And then I've watched how God has taken and molded it and shaped it and, and made it beautiful. And he's taken the beauty of it and arrayed it. And what the Lord says is that look at the lilies of the field. God takes these lilies of the field that the lifespan of the lily of the field is much 
shorter than our immediate lifetime, but in the beauty of it, God makes it blossom and bloom. Have you ever seen when flowers are in full bloom and you can see the beauty and the radiance of it and you begin to say, man, isn't God good? From out of the ground, seeds that were planted into the ground, these things have sprouted up. And you can look at the beauty. You can look at the diversity. You can look at all that God has done. And all that happened was that water was poured onto it. But God was making it beautiful. And what the kingdom of God tells us is that the same one, who makes the lilies of the fields beautiful. This is what he promises here in the scriptures. If God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers who are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. We want the rights of kingdom citizenship. But along with it comes the responsibility. The beauty of the right is what we see here enumerated in Matthew 6. He makes things beautiful. He cares for us. He pays attention to the littlest of details. He orchestrates things together for our good. But he says, in order to get that, here's the responsibility that is given to you as a kingdom citizen. As we read on, the, uh, Jesus teaches it here in verse number 31. He says, don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things determine, dominate, excuse me, the thoughts of unbelievers. You know what he's saying? These were the patterns that you operated by as an earthly citizen. But as a kingdom citizen, think and bring your thought life to the way God thinks. Bring your thought life to the kingdom of God. And how does he say to do it? These things dominate the thoughts of unbeliever but your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. The kingdom of God and the constitution of the kingdom of God can be summarized in the principles that are enumerated here in Jesus's teaching seek first the kingdom of God above all else live righteously and God will give you what you need as I close this morning just real briefly enumerating on these three topics number one seek first the kingdom of God above all else Seeking first the kingdom of God implies that we learn to obey God's commands and instructions. We don't do it to earn our citizenship. We do it because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. You cannot do anything. Let, let, let me make this clear. You cannot 
do anything to earn your citizenship. You can't take a test. You can't go serve at the soup kitchen a number of certain days. You can't give away your money. You can do all of those things, but that's not what brings you into the kingdom of God. What brings you into the kingdom of God is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And because of that finished work, he invites all of us who say, I will make Jesus Lord over my life. He invites us to come in and partake of the rights and responsibilities that are there. I mean, have you ever been somewhere where someone was blessed in a certain way and they were so excited about it that they said, come and enjoy? I remember when, when I was a certain uh, uh, thing that happened on my job and I, I got a, a promotion in, in, in the position that I was at. I invited everybody. I said, come on, we're going to have a party. We're going to enjoy this together. When I graduated law school, uh, I remember Pastor Ophelia said, uh, she would, she would, uh, people would say congratulations. She said, yes, we graduated law school together. I was like, wait, I was one of the classes. She's like, no, I was right there with you, studying with you. I put up with your nasty attitude while you were going through exams. I went through all of that. So I got my Juris Doctorate too as well. And so this is the principle. In the kingdom of God and under kingdom citizenship, he doesn't just say, okay, Jesus did the finished work and he's going to take it to himself. He invites us to come in and say, be a part of the family. Come on in and join the family of God. And I want you to partake of the rights and responsibilities. And I want you to experience that. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Obey his instructions. Not to be saved but because we are saved. The second thing that he tells us is to live righteously. To live righteously means to live in right standing. And simply what this means is that right standing with God is not based upon what we think. It's based upon what Jesus sets out as the standard for our life. I'd love to be able to say, man, I'm doing good. Man, everything is good. But then I look to the scriptures to be able to examine myself and examine my heart. And not as a place of condemnation, but as a place of challenge. Anyone who is on this earth who thinks that they've reached perfection have yet to reach the kingdom of God. Because while we are on this earth, we are still, we're striving to live as God expects us to live. But if we think we've arrived, we're actually farther away. If we think we've made it, we've got a lot to learn. The reality is that in the kingdom of God, living righteously means living humbly. And living humbly is willing to acknowledge, God, guess what? <laughs> I've fallen short of your glory. But thank God for your grace that is extended unto me. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then he says to live righteously. And finally, he says, God will give us what we need. While this last point seems simple, it is radically countercultural and exceedingly different. Excuse me, difficult. The promise that God says is that he'll give us what we need. The responsibility that we have 
is to trust his wisdom when he provides for us that what he's given to us is exactly what we need and it's sufficient for all that is in front of us. Kingdom citizenship isn't always easy, but the beauty of it is that there are so many promises that we have in Christ Jesus. And the challenge is not just to take the promises, but also to live with the responsibilities and say, God, I will live righteously for you. I invite the worship team to come up as we respond this morning. The invitation this morning is that as we surrender to God, as we live as kingdom citizens, we recognize that some of the challenge that we have is that we hold on to things, hold on to practices, hold on to so many things that belong to the earthly kingdom. And while we are dual citizens and while we are here on this earth, we recognize that ultimately our home and our expectation is in heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And by that, it challenges us to live according to God's word and not simply by our own design. Some of you may have heard it said, this is the way that we do things or this is the way things need to be done. But I challenge you to hear what God has said. You've heard it said this way, but what does Jesus have to say about it? Because if he's truly Lord over all, he has a say, not just in what we do on Sunday morning, but Jesus has a say about every area of our life. Those of you who are parents in the room, do you know that Jesus cares about how you parent your children? I know there may be different methods and, and ways that people will say this is the way or the right way that you do treat your children. And what you probably learn is that everybody has a different way of raising their children. But at the end of the day, what does it matter? Jesus instructs us about the way to treat our children. For those of you who are in your workplace, Maybe you've gone through conferences and they said, this is the way you do things and this is the way you do things. And if you want to get ahead and climb the corporate ladder, if you want to get advanced, these are the things you do. But Jesus has something to say about it. And if you're willing to say, Lord, show me. What do you want from me in my various areas of life? Jesus will open our eyes to his word and show us the way that we will go. Would you stand with me as we sing this refrain together? I surrender all to you, everything I give to you, withholding nothing.